Hey mamas, welcome to another episode of I See You Mama, the podcast where we talk about mom to mom, about the things that we're passionate about, the things that we're struggling with, the things that that kind of shape this experience that we all share as human beings raising human beings, um, especially as moms of those. There's, there's dad podcasts, that's not this podcast, although... Dads are welcome to. It's, you know, it, we're humans living life together. Um, so this is episode number 47. And my guest is, uh, she's going to introduce herself, which I love to hear her kind of um, list off her amazing, uh, it's like her out loud resume, I guess. But um, so this is uh, Pastor Crystal Bates. So when I knew her, she was Christina. We went to high school together um, back in Longview, Texas, and so it's it's been like a real pleasure to um, watch her journey as um, an advocate and activist in Dallas, and um, we reconnected a couple years ago um, over a uh, over Botham Jean's case, and um, she started a discussion group where we watched the trial and we talked about it and um it's just been like so challenging and good to know her uh as a human being so I wanted to have have her come on and talk about not only the stuff that she works on but like what it's like to raise a child as an African-American mother so this is part of the series where um I wanted to hear the voices of my friends um who are parenting and experiencing racism at the same time. So that's part of this, that series that we're recording this summer. And um, funnily enough, we recorded this episode on Juneteenth. So uh, there was some history there. Um, in Longview, there was always a Juneteenth celebration. Uh, I grew up knowing, knowing about that, even though it seems to be sort of coming into the collective American knowledge more recently um yeah it's exciting and uh it was a really such a good day to record this with her so um i'm gonna let her speak to her herself and we're gonna jump in and i'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say so uh if you're i can't believe i can't remember if i said this before but if you've never been here before i'm so glad you're here and if you are a longtime listener welcome back i'm so glad you're here if you would like to be on the podcast and talk to me about your personal experience or something that you're passionate about or something that you're excited about or something that you're working on or a business that you're starting or, um, you know, there's the, the topics are wide open. We're all parenting um, as moms together. So I would love to have you as a guest. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I see you, Mama podcast you can reach out to me on facebook i see you mama podcast you can uh email me which is i see you mama podcast at gmail.com i would love to hear from you so reach out and um it's kind of crazy we're all home together i've got my three kids home and um i feel like i'm just like stuffing little bits of the things that i want to do in between parenting and uh maybe my children are a little feral in the meantime and they've watched probably an epic amount of Avatar, The Last Airbender, 
I think they've watched the whole series twice. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's summer. Without further ado, we're going to jump in um, to my interview with Crystal. And uh, once again, if you would love to be, if you would like to be on the podcast, just reach out. And um, thanks for listening. Well, this is my guest, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So, hello, hello. I am Minister Crystal Bates. I am a native of Longview, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in the Dallas area for the last 20 years, actually, as of last month. I moved 20. here in May 2000. All right. Yeah. That's and so um, I'm a 95 graduate, and that's, that's how me. we made our <laughs> friendship and acquaintance way, way, way back. Yes. And um, I ended up migrating here to Dallas, uh, as I said, in May, uh, May 2000. I got my associates uh, in computer science at Kilgore College, and then I moved here, and I got my ba uh, bachelor's of science in economics. And I did a minor in business admin administration. And with that also, I made history. Not only was I the first person in my family to go to college and get a degree, I was the first uh, generation graduate in my family. I also was the ninth African-American female to get a bachelor's of science in yeah. economics at UTA in Arlington, UT That's in awesome. Arlington. Yeah, in 2005, I think. So, yeah. Very so, that was pretty cool. exciting. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. And then I went on from there to work on my MDiv at Baylor, at Truett. Uh, due to some health issues, I was unable to finish that. I've dealt with Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed in 1987. So, uh, due to some serious complications there, I had to have an emergency surgery, went in for a routine procedure. And something I've did a zillion times in my life, and they perforated my intestines and had to take out two thirds of my intestines. So just oh, over years, raising my son with those health challenges, uh, trying to fight against the odds, the odds of thinking I would never graduate, and definitely not on time due to me being so sickly growing right. up and being able to actually graduate and graduate on time. Um, I decided to go out and I got pregnant at 17. And so two weeks before graduation, when I was already playing catch up due to health complications, my son decided to come early. So um, to, uh, two weeks before our graduation, I gave birth to my favorite and only son, Mr. Christopher Dejan, and I love him to pieces. And I have the pictures that I have circulating of my high school graduation is me walking around with uh, breast milk that has uh, fled through my, uh, <laughs> has flowed through my clothing. Oh no. Also my gown. So that my, all of my graduation pictures that night have breast milk. <laughs> I know that they, the listeners are probably like, okay, what? So yes. And then my son was diagnosed with meningitis also. Oh my gosh. About graduation. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of, so I did taxes. I started doing taxes in high school. So I do help out with taxes. I do some consulting there. Also, okay. I do ministry consulting from the perspective of ministry development. 
and ministry assimilation and um, anything that involves that. I started in 2008 as the co-host of the cha uh, Chaplain Show with KGMC, uh, KGCM Radio. Uh, dot com. And so I started out as a co-host to the Chaplain Show. We did that for many, many years. And um, I can't remember what year it was, but we also, I did a live broadcast, live business show from Southwest Center Mall in Dallas. It was a live broadcast show from there, there um, right in the mall. So it was very interesting. It was a business format. And that same um, radio show and ministry i came on board as one of the board members a few years ago for opm ministries on point ministries uh, so i am a current active board member and uh we're doing some amazing things so definitely check them out we give qb classes we have cpr classes we have chaplaincy and all type of stuff going on there so definitely check out opm ministries and with the same ministry, um, we just recently launched another online show. Uh, it's a Bible study for the summer, and it's called Love Heals All Wounds. And that actually was being discussed and put together even before the pandemic and even before we dealt with the racial uh, things that have come to a head um, now. So it was just perfect timing. Yeah. to um, start a series on Love Heals Our Wounds. And we air live every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And we'll be doing that for the rest of the summer. Okay. Um, I did those things. I've been an activist. I am a very active activist, social justice activist in this area and beyond. I've been marching protests and doing activism in this area for quite some time now. Um, I think pretty much the full 20 years that I've been here in Dallas. And um, after having to escape bullets, rubber bullets, and um, uh, tear gas, and dealing with probably some PTSD as a result of the July the 7th um, chaos that happened a few years back, and yeah. praying, continuously praying for those uh, officers who were, you know, attacked during that time. It was an unfortunate uh, time. But I was there, and so, I mean, just, it was traumatizing to be there uh, when that happened. And so it took me a year, some years to get back out there. And then once I get back out there, now we have Dallas attacking peaceful protesters with uh, tear gas and rubber bullets. So it's triggered some of the PTSD stuff of right. just being traumatized of being downtown. So yeah. unfortunately, since the first week of protest, I haven't been able to go back uh, due to that. And then with my health issues too, it's just really too hot. But I always post online and tell people, okay, stop complaining about people that march and protest. If that's not your calling, figure out what God has for you to do. Right. And God made me eat those words up because I've been sitting in front of the TV kind of weeping and emotional because as an African-American mother, anytime any mother of color, uh, any, anybody, no matter what color they are, but I mean, I, I definitely uh, relate even more when I see African-American uh, mothers lose their sons, innocent children. I mean, walk into the store, to the corner store like Michael Brown, or right. sitting in your living room eating ice cream, minding your own business with a degree, working for one of the 
largest, I mean, one of the top accounting firms in this area and beyond, you get shot and killed in your living room. Uh, you know, I, uh, Tatiana Jefferson is sitting in her living room playing video games with her nephew and it's gone down. That's an African-American mother. It is a frightening um, reality that we deal with all the time. But as a African-American, a mother of an African-American son, with every um, tragedy, such as those that I just mentioned, um, I hurt with them. I mourn with them. It, it really, really pierces me. And I mourn the death because I realize is it could have been my child because these are not children that are out. Like Tamir Rice, he's doing what any normal American child would do, whether they were black, white, brown, yellow, purple, or whatever. He's at the park playing with a toy gun that are legally sold in toy stores. And playing with this toy, he yeah. gets shot down and slain, lynched, basically, by an area police officer. Trayvon Martin goes to the local store in his own community, walks back through his own townhome condominium community that his parents his father lives in and he's gone down after purchasing arizona tea and skittles then you got the massacre uh at the church where people are just going for wednesday night bible study just to praise and worship the lord which we often do uh most of us do on a regular basis and there's a massacre with the roof child so i mean it's it's a daily reality um I saw on the news, um, maybe it wasn't on the news, it was online, I believe, and it was a video of some young men, it was some teenagers. And you know how in the community, you got your sidewalks, and then you got a fence, a storm's blown down a fence, and that route is shorter, so you take that shorter route to get to the local little corner store in your community. So the yes. kids were doing what we all do all the time, just like uh, Ahmad Aubrey. He's jogging and working out, uh, running and jogging in his community, which people do of all colors all the time. But uh, holes were blown in him with rifles just for being Black in America. But anyway, going back to this video, um, the children, they were teenagers. They were just cutting across the line, broad daylight, and the officers see them, and I think they said something about jaywalking or something, that they weren't supposed to cut through this line. They needed to take the sidewalk. As a result, uh, within seconds, the officers have guns, guns drawn on teenagers for cutting across the grades. They weren't selling drugs. They weren't game banging. They weren't vandalizing property they weren't fighting one another they weren't bullying anybody they're just going to the store to probably get a soft drink probably to get some arizona tea and skittles like trayvon martin did and, right. make it and that video for me i've had so many people to call and just to ask crystal you know how are you doing my friends that are uh, are white or other races have called just, you know, ask. And that video for me, it was kind of like, this is my reality. This is why, and even for me, my honest um, um, confession and just being transparent, me and my son had a very strange uh, relationship when he became a teenager because we live in an affluent white community where people, like I said, are very, very affluent here. And um, 
he wanted to do what all his little white friends do. He wants to go outside and play like normal kids do. He wants to go hang out at somebody's house like normal kids do. He mm -hmm. wants to go play basketball in the basketball court like normal kids do. But oftentimes, his desire to be a young black, a young kid, let's start there. His desire to simply be a young kid in America, he didn't have that privilege because just being a, a young kid in America, but being black, placed a target on his back. And so just like those kids that were crossing through that, that fence just to get to that store, we as African-American mothers, all of our lives, this is not something that just came through. I know some people claim that it's an aha moment to them. They didn't know, they didn't have a clue, blah, blah, blah. They pull up their red lights and they, they know the light is red. They pull up and it's green and they know to go is green. But they claim not to have noticed color prior to now and the realities that African-Americans face regularly on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, as a mother, as of an African-American uh, son, you know, my fear is he's going to go to somebody's house who doesn't welcome African-Americans and doesn't feel as warm and welcoming to them and they're going to mistreat him or somebody's little daughter that doesn't look like my son is going to want to try to date him and then when the parent finds out and they don't like it instead of her admitting that i wanted to date this young little black boy she lies about it because she's afraid of her parents and now my son is being charged with some false allegation of rape or something else. I mean, that didn't happen, of course. I'm just using an example that right. this is what we deal with as African-Americans. And I'm like, you know, Ariana, you asked me to do this now, child, you know I'm just real transparent. <laughs> so, but, you know, it was even a time where my son said to me, he was like, mom, he was like, you're racist. I said, what? Because I had to have a discussion with him and say, Chris, I don't want you to date outside of your race. It wasn't that I had a problem with white girls or Hispanic girls or anything. It wasn't that. My fear was that ignorant, ignorant person that was going to have a problem with my child and their child having an attraction for one another. And they make a false allegation. And here my son is a perfectly... Um, civilized child never gets in any trouble and they're going to pin some false allegation against him and then he's going to be in the system he could end up dead shot at assaulted anything or lied on and have something on his record you know due to somebody else's racism so yeah. to avoid those things yes i honestly i um always um expressed my uh, preference for him not to date outside of his race. And yeah. that was why. And so he, he's dated outside of his race, but, um, and does currently. But I think now he gets it. I think now he gets it because he would see me interact. I, we've had 
kids of all persuasions in and out of this house. I cooked for them. I had a 98 Camry with 489,000 miles that I just got rid of. And those miles are a result of me hauling youngins of every race and color up and down the streets of Capel, feeding them, taking them here, picking them up there, as many as we can pile up in this car. You know, so by all means, I'm not a racist. You know, my son was dealing with Crohn's disease. I remember one day I took him to school. The school was right across the street from the condos that we live in. And by the time I got home, I fell to the floor with a pan, uh, pan, uh, with pancreatitis. No, mm. appendicitis. It was appendicitis at the time. I've had a lot of itises dealing with Crohn's disease. But that time it was not a pancreatitis. That was previously, but it was a appendicitis attack. And so... Um, there were people that didn't look like Chris that called to the hospital like, Crystal, don't worry about it. He can stay here. We will buy him clothes. We will get him food. He is fine. You take care of yourself. And they were people that didn't look like us. I live in a predominantly white community. I have come out of my home, home and barely been able to walk. And there were white neighbors, not saying that the black neighbors didn't assist. I didn't have them. <laughs> my neighbors have always been white. And they would meet, okay, do you want to, we could bring dinner. We can have the housekeepers to come clean up. We can take Chris here, whatever you need to do. So by all means, I'm not racist, you know, but again, I think I'm pretty sure now Chris gets it. I've never mistreated anybody. I've always been very welcome. It was just that fear of what if someone doesn't accept my son's identity and reality of being a black man, of being an African-American male. And so even myself, um, I was sharing, I'm a Rotarian in the community. Yes, hello to my Rotarians out there. I'm a Rotarian. And I don't know um, what that is. Will you tell me what that is? The Rotary Club. Oh, the Rotary Club. Okay. Yes. I uh, was inducted a few years ago and I'm very excited about it. I'm glad to be a part of that family. And so uh, someone from the Rotary Club had called one of my sisters there, my Rotarian sisters, and she and I were having a conversation. And she, you know, was just convicted about some things and um, wanted to offer an apology and have some more candid conversation about some thoughts and just wanted to know what could she honestly do because she felt like she hadn't did enough and hadn't did anything. And, and I accept that. It's so... What a beautiful thing is when a person says, you know what, I'm convicted. I'm part of the problem. My silence is part of the problem. Uh, my lack of empathy is part of the problem. My lack of action, my lack of sensitivity is a problem. And I'm going to admit that. But not only am I going to admit, admit it, I want to call someone that they can transparent, listen to me, and I listen to them. And I figure out for the rest of my remaining life, what can I do different to make a difference? Not only that, what can I use, how can I use my money and my influence and my white privilege to make a difference? And that's what she said. And I I was so appreciative of that. But in the course of our conversation, um, she, she, you know, she wanted to know, had I experienced anything living here in Capel? And I was like, yeah. I said, with Crohn's disease, I said, I've been in this community since 2001, 2001, 2004 in that area. And I said, with Crohn's disease, you know, oftentimes you get sick. I don't know what it is about your body, but it waits until everything is closed and your doctors are gone home before <laughs> anything wants to come to fruition. I mean, ma- manifest rather. And 
it had gotten to the point and it has gotten to the point that I have instances, several, not one, not two, several occasions where I have sat in pain all night long, refusing to go to the ER because I know as a black woman in the 21st century, if I leave my home, which I have lived here almost 15, 20, over 15 years, almost 20 years now, I know if I leave this house after dark at 12, 1 o'clock at night, I am guaranteed that I am going to get stopped and pulled over and harassed because I'm leaving my home to go to the emergency room. It's happened several times. And so when I told her that, she was appalled. She said, here, come. I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. And one officer, he told me I made a wide turn. Now, what the hell is that, y'all? A wide turn. What, I don't what know what a wide turn is. A wide turn. So I got pulled over at 2 o'clock in the morning because I'm making a wide turn and can barely, I'm, I'm in so much pain. But he held me up on side of the street for 20-some minutes, 30-some minutes because of a wide turn. Didn't have any warrants. I'm not, I'm, I am a law-abiding citizen. I don't have a criminal record or anything like that. I'm a minister. I'm very active in this community. I've done plenty of things, but he pulled me over for a wide turn. Once again, uh, at a different moment, I remember going to the ER and I, I just, I needed to go so bad, but I did not want to, but I could not wait to the next morning. Lo and behold, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I said, that just happened. You know, it, it's not going to happen every single time. This is going to be right. the night that I can do it. I'm going to go a different way this time. I couldn't even make it out. I was almost out of the city limits of Capel. Just almost out. And literally, I go up under 121 on Freeport, and I'm literally at the city line of Flower Mound and Grapevine. And here come the lights. Here's the officers pulling me over. I was so dead. I'm like, you know what? I'm sick as hell. But you call me a sergeant out here. You, you call me a sergeant. I, I'm tired of this. Oh, it was crazy. They probably thought to this and that we, we pulled over a black rage black woman today. Yeah, I was angry. <laughs> I feel yeah. like I rightfully had a right to be angry. And what I told the young lady who called me and what I told the sergeant that night, I don't give a darn if I was planning to sell my body parts and prostitute and whore around. Whatever I want to do at two o'clock in the morning is my business, and I should not have to give explanations for that. That was, I, that's really, that's what I told him. I'm like, if I want to go sell my body at two o'clock in the morning, I should be able to do whatever I want to do at two o'clock in the morning, and there should not be a law where I have to give you an explanation as to why I'm leaving my house at two o'clock. I could be creeping. I could be sneaking. Whatever I want to do at two o'clock is my business. Right. So those, and she was so shocked. She could not believe it. And I said, yes, those have been my experiences here. So, I mean, you and I are the exact same age, went to the exact same high school, 40, you know, we're the exact same age. And in my life, I have never, ever, ever, ever been pulled over. And I've been out all hours of the night and day. I've never experienced that. And, and you know, I it was dating a boy who lived on the south side of Longview and I was driving over there in high school and I was out in the, you know, sticks north of town and drove all, and everywhere I've lived. And so mm -hmm. I've never had that experience. And in my head, you know, in my head, it took me a long time. I'll, I'll be honest, like a, a really absurdly long time to recognize that something was different mm -hmm. with my life because... Yeah of the color of my skin and you know, things that 
you know, I've said this before to other friends, like you grow up hearing things and they just sort of, they transfer into like the language of, all right, well that, I guess that's what, how it is, you know, mm -hmm. nobody's sitting you down and saying, Hey, by the way, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This is bad. You know, there's an assumption like you shouldn't do this, but no one sat me down and said, you shouldn't do these things or you shouldn't talk this way or you shouldn't, um, well, maybe my parents didn't just with one ear out the other because I was, you know, lost in books and fairyland and whatever um, as a kid. And, you know, we grew up very poor. And so when people started talking about, well, you know, people grow up poor, I'm like, I grew up poor. It took me a long time to get my head around um, white privilege. It took me a long time to understand, like, growing up poor and being white is different than growing up poor and being African-American. It took me a long time to understand that like I had, I could go down and mess around uh, at two o'clock in the morning and not get pulled over and not get thought of being doing anything thing suspicious. Like, you know, in college we would, we were always out till all hours of the night and I never. So that you mentioned college, I'm sure most white Americans whether it's an, a memory of college, whether it's a memory of being a teenager, at some point, they have hung out in a parking lot, a, a Whataburger parking yep. lot, a grocery store parking lot, just hanging to wee hours of the morning, minding their own business, mm -hmm. just hanging out with friends. Trust me, if you get a group of African-Americans and they decide they want to hang out in a parking lot, Trust and believe the police are going to come. They're going to issue loitering uh, tickets. It, it, they will not let us do it. If we go to the park on a Sunday and it's too many of us, like more than 20 or 30 of us, it's a problem. They're calling in a whole force. 20 police officers are about to come in. They're going to sit and prop up as if to intimidate the crowd. Uh, like we're watching you, you're in the park, like, oh, you're not supposed to be in the park. Like literally, we better not, if we go to the car wash and wash our cars, they come camp out there as if to intimidate us or wait till we pull out the parking lot and find some reason, whether it's a wide turn, it's a short turn, it's a right, it's a legal turn, uh, some reason to pull us over. Uh, another thing that I've found that whites can't relate to Oftentimes, when African Americans will pull it over, the cop gives this order, get out the car. Well, what the hell am I getting out the car for? I've never seen a white person get pulled over and get a ticket and been asked to get out their car. I, I don't see that. Been pulled out yeah. of my car. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, if we get pulled over, it's some reason we got to get out of our car. It, for what? You know, why am I having to get out of my car? But they use this. I want you to get out the car. Why are you asking me to get out the car? Yeah. It makes no sense to me. But again, I see people of all races pulled over at times and I have yet to see them randomly asking them just to get out the car and put their hands on the back of the trunk for a traffic ticket. But it happens all the time for us. Yeah. And I think that's when we go in the grocery store, you know, don't let me forget to get something out of Walmart. You know, we had a conversation with our kids. Now, if you got to go back in store, take your stuff out to the car. Or if you get your bag tied in, put your receipt and tie it in many knots and tie it up really, really good, 
because we don't want to get accused of stealing something in the store because they will accuse us of stealing something in the store. We go back and we forgot something. Right. And then I mean, and another thing I've even noticed that, you know, my son shared some things with me that he experienced as a kid. I would say this, and when I say this to white Americans, they are like shocked. In the African-American culture, when we have Thanksgiving dinners, when we have Christmas dinners, when we congregate as a family, we do not sit around sharing racial jokes. And I'm finding that some white Americans are confessing that that was common they've they've experienced it before it may not have happened every time but they've experienced it at some point we don't do that that that's just as well as this lie that these men that have been found lynched and hung in these public places in the last week where Africa the statistics are african-american people are not uh prone to committing suicide that is not a characteristic of african-american people in general i'm not saying no african-american has never committed suicide that's not what i'm saying but if you look at statistically that's not a characteristic of african-americans and surely not by hanging if so Mm -mm. right and that's a known fact so i shared that to say um likewise in the african-american community in our culture we don't sit around making racial jokes in the privacy of our own homes up under trees in our yard that's not something we do so half of us for a million dollars if somebody say really quick you got three seconds give us a racist joke about a white person we can't do it we don't that's not and just as strange as it is and how we know it's not our culture and characteristic that our black men or women are gonna hang themselves and kill themselves and commit suicide. Likewise, it's not within our culture to sit around and have that type of conversation, even in the privacy of our own home. And if somebody was to do it, they would be looked upon like, what? Like, cause that's not what we do. It's just not what we do. It's, it would right. be very strange. like people in the home would look like, because that's not what we do. So you made the comment earlier, you said, um, um, you talked about how you've grown up. I am convinced, you know, they have the, like, like for instance, we're not gonna talk about 46 minus one, not on this platform, but that video that was distorted this morning with that little black kid and the little white kid that he turned around to mean something else. I didn't that see that original, one. Excuse me? I didn't see that one. What was it? Oh my God. Yes. He took, there's a video of a little black boy and a little white kid. They have to be around two years old because you can tell they just started walking. They may be three, between two and three. So their friends or something, they see each other on the sidewalk and they hug and they just are so little, so excited to see another little human just like me. And it's, it's a beautiful thing in how they embrace one another. Well, 46 minus one has somebody has uh, taken this video, cut out that part of it and painted this picture that the African-American little kid is running from the white kid because of racism. It is just crazy how it was totally distorted from what the, the whole the whole video. And I advise your listeners, go watch the entire video because that's not what that video was about. 
The white kid wasn't attacking the black kid. The black kid wasn't attacking the white kid. They were embracing one another in love. So I shared that example to say, um, it's unfortunate, but racism is taught. And it doesn't mean someone sat down in a classroom or someone was sat down at a table and said, this is how you do racism or this is how, that's not it. Right. Kids learn from actions. So if you walk in the store and you see your parents speak to everybody else that looks like you, but then someone of color walks by and they act as if they're invisible, they're teaching it. Some of these dadgum pets of other people act racist sometimes. You can tell they're unfriendly with other people. It is. Wow. So it, it's taught. It, it, it's taught. He, kids are learning. So when you grow up with the disease and cancer of racism, like I, I've shared with some people, you can change all the policies and laws that you want to change, which they have done. But yet we still have racism. You know why? Because it's an infection of the heart. It is sin of the heart. And yes, as Christians, we all know that we all have sin. I, as an African-American woman, a Christian, there is sin within me. There is sin within you. There is sin within all of us. But we have to accept what those sins are that God can, that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of those sins in order to be healed from them. You can't be healed from something that you don't admit you got a problem with. They right. use the same slogan with people who drink and have, uh, who are alcoholics and drug addicts. Until you admit there's a problem, you can't be healed from it. Right. And people have to accept it as it is racism is a sin it's a sin of the heart and also it is a disease of the heart and until people can admit this is where i am until that 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 they acknowledge that they can't be healed from it so we can pass all the laws today we have it's amazing that we coincident that we have this podcast today but it's juneteenth right you know we're celebrating juneteenth uh the emancipation of uh african americans and yet we're still not free. You know, we still right. seems that we're we're still fighting for that same freedom from then. But it has to, so we we there have been laws passed. There have been many laws passed. There have been policy changes. But until those people in those places, that's each and every one of us, allow God to heal us and reconcile our hearts and clean that sin up and admit, okay, I have not been the best at this. I have failed. I have been a part of the problem. I'm right. a school teacher. I encouraged all the little white kids in my class to take STEM courses, to take advantage of college courses. And I didn't put forth the same effort for kids that were brown and black in my classrooms. That's what racism looks like. Or I'm working in payroll and I see two individuals, they're different colors. They have the same degree and one is white and one is black and the other person is getting 30 40 50 60 thousand dollars more than the same person with the same criteria and you see that and you don't say anything you got so many corporate businesses coming out now talking about oh we're we're supporting black lives matter we're you know what i don't want to hear it uh until you can pay for right. a private auditor to come into your payroll and make it public the discrepancy and the wealth gap and how you have uh uh, unjustly paid people of color compared to their white counterparts. 
I don't want to hear about them, those letters. I don't want to hear about it because it's like you, you're, you're putting a Band-Aid on something instead of dealing with that wound that exists. And right. so these, as, Afri as an African-American woman, you know, you raise your children up. You want them to be safe. But even now, my son is 25 years old. And it's like if I hadn't heard from Chris, I mean, even now I had to call him on the phone like, recently literally this week i called i said chris I, I, i'm sorry baby i love you i said but do not be outside past dark don't be out by yourself make sure you don't go 510 within the speed limit don't give the cops any reason to pull you over do not go into a bar and drink anything you drink at home if you need to drink don't trust drinking nothing out, out the store that they got to fix for you don't trust anyone don't do it i mean yeah. at 25 years old he's having to hear all of these rules. Chris, are you okay? He's working in another city. Chris, did you make it okay? Have you made it home? I'm, I'm, this is conversations that we're having to have now. Yeah. yeah. It's, we, I mean, we have, I have much younger kids because I waited forever to have kids. <laughs> um, and so mine are young. And so we're having these conversations with them as well. And you know, I'm raising three white kids. Um, and the conversations that we're having, it, it kind of blows their mind. They're like, what, what? It, it doesn't make sense to them that anybody would be treated that way. And yet, you know, we live in Nashville and Nashville is in the center of Tennessee and, and it's not gone from Tennessee. You know, racism is still alive and well and practiced in Tennessee. And it just, you know, I start to, we've started to let them see a lot more of the news and to understand because they don't understand because they watch Netflix, you know, that like we grew up watching the news. They can't watch the news because we don't have TV channels. We just have Netflix and Amazon prime and that's all they see. And so letting them know that this is this is real this is happening around us this is mm -hmm. a thing that's still going on even now you mm -hmm. know i've been, been encouraging people who have called me and it's been amazing to me uh the people who have called even yourself you know and other classmates and stuff and so what i concluded is even before i moved to this affluent white community I feel like you probably can uh, agree with, even in school, I, I was friends with everybody. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know, even for me, I guess I might have been blinded because of my health and that I was always so sick. I don't have a lot of memory and stories of racism per se in Longview. Right. Um, and it could have been just because I fought for my life just to live. I was so sickly as a child and I was my, my, that was, that consumed my life. But when I got to Dallas, honey, if I didn't know racism existed, I sure enough knew then. I mean, cause this is like, oh my God, like one of the racist cities that I, I've just, it's crazy how racism exists here and, and, and it's systematic stuff. So when I say racism, it may not be an officer putting his foot on somebody's neck, but it's how they purposely disqualify people for home loans in certain communities, or right. it's how when they get ready to build a public 
bypass the street, how they come in and do these economic developments in on property and land that belong to African Americans, uh, yeah. or how they place all the landfills in Dallas County on the southern sector where uh, the communities impoverished, you know, where poverty has taken over, you know, right. so racism that those communities they deal with asthma they have high rates of even with the coronavirus they're showing how african americans are more prone to to, to get the disease and also die from it why because of systematic oppression in those communities they can't go to a whole food they can't go to a central market without traveling 20 30 minutes out they just got a walmart in their community too in the last decade or so you know even to get prescription drugs they got to drive out to who knows where just to get medical care and then they're living in poverty so they don't have the gas they don't have a vehicle they don't have the means to get there right so yes it's not they're not getting coronavirus just simply because they're black they're getting it because they have been a victim of systematic oppression for decades right decades yeah and so people are looking at it as if again they have this channel vision oh they're getting they're getting coronavirus because they're black no they're not getting it because they're black they're getting it because they're black and they are a victim of systematic oppression that's why they're getting it. and then you'll have some politician what was it i can't remember who what who it was he stood up there and he said maybe it's because People of color don't wash their hands. I was like, "Are you said that out loud?" Well, oh. statistically, um, that's not the case with African Americans. Right. <laughs> uh, they right. have been. I have a psychology class that I took in uh, college, and I made friends in that class because I've, I, I was always the highlight of some kind of conversation in this class, but. One particular day that she would always ask us to come in and talk about what we did over the weekend, what we saw, blah, blah, blah. Well, I she, I had watched something on ABC and it was just saying it broke down culturally what races go to the bathroom and don't wash their hands. And just, I was just appalled. I thought everybody did. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I mean, and I went to the class. I mean, I was just being honest. I wasn't being rude to anybody. I was really... I was in a state of shock to find out that ABC, I think it was ABC did the special and they were saying that it's not uncommon for different races not to wash their hands. That was news to me. That's so. Well, granted, my kids would not do it unless I'm like, get back in there. Right, That's right, right. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to remind them every time to wash your hands. Go back right. in there. Right. It's busy. They don't want to do it. Right, right, right. But I understand that. It's so, it, you know, you and I reconnected when, um, Botham Jean, when you started a Facebook group about mm -hmm. just following his case. Um, and, you know, I, I listened to the words you were saying. It was kind of, for me, like another realization that I don't know a lot. Like, you know, I'm smart and I went to school and I read books, but I don't know a lot. And 
it just kind of opened my eyes in a whole different way. And that was how much, I mean, that's been a couple of years, right? Has mm -hmm. it been that long? At least two, two or three yeah. years. Where I started following that and I was like, you know, I have, I thought I had an opinion about this, but here I am like learning and seeing somebody's totally different experience than me. And I think that's the best, um, like me as a human being, like all I can say is I don't know, but I want to know. So you please tell me. And that's the thing. Not only have African-Americans been robbed of being taught our history in schools, uh, but white people have too. Right. They have been, that's just like us as Christians. I, I hate to, um, to disappoint your listeners, but Jesus is black. And <laughs> everything in the scripture uh, identifies yes. him as being an, of African descent. And to right. me, how can you continuously preach this word, but yet you you won't explain how he had woolly hair? Right. You won't explain <laughs> it. You won't explain how he was in these African. He was African. Right. And and to me, I just it makes me like I, I can't listen. If you if you want to if you gotta lie about the color of his, his descent of his ethnicity, I can't believe nothing that comes out your mouth. Right. Something so simple. Right. But so again, I've gotten all these calls. People have reached out to me. And again, like I said, just growing up, I've always been so receptive of anybody of any race or whether they were popular, unpopular, smart, not smart. I just love people. I'm an Aquarius. I'm, I'm an extra extrovert. <laughs> and I just, I, I literally just love people. I do. I just love people of any race and any color. Yeah. And so uh, I guess because of that, the spirit in me, people have been drawn and felt comfortable to reach out to me um, to just share, to right. just talk about where they are, try to get an understanding of where they are and trying to get advice and have a place where they can vent to try to get where they need to be. So in those discussions, one thing that I just trying to figure like I just don't get it why did it take George Floyd's lynching to be revealed to the country and world for them to believe we've been telling y'all this for, for ages right. I just didn't get it but then one thing I'm starting to realize the media shows what they want to show you you know yeah. Uh, like you said, you shared that now you all don't even watch the news, any kind of news. You all watch Netflix, Hulu, and all that other stuff, and many people do. Doing so, you miss out on what's going on around us. And then even if you were watching uh, the news, it's a possibility because some of these hangings, you know, I mean, uh, how they were saying the protesters were out looting and stuff. I mean, now the news is sharing that no, we the FBI's came in and it definitely it wasn't. It was this organization or it was that organization. So with that right. being said, me living again in an affluent suburban area of Dallas, I uh, attend and I'm an active minister at a very prominent mega church, African American mega church, in right. the area and. Uh, and if you don't know what church that is, drive down I-20. We have the hugest 
Black Lives Matter banner on the side of the church, y'all. I know I'm 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 deter- I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting off track, but it still chills down my body to drive over there and see that sign. I cry. It was just the most beautiful thing because we yeah. have a large, 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 large church. So if you drive down I twenty, you have seen it because it, it it's a, it's humongous. It's a humongous banner. Beautiful right. thing. But anyway. <laughs> I thought about over the years, having moved to Dallas, how God led me to that ministry. Uh, and uh, our platform is social justice, and it always has been. It wasn't just yesterday when Baltham Jean, when Sandra Bland, when Trayvon Martin. Since I, I joined the church, I started attending in 2000, uh, and I joined in 2001, and we've had a social justice ministry since I got there. And so anyway... Being a part of that ministry and them having such a a solid platform in social justice, actually we're recognized across the nation and beyond for the social justice work that uh, our church does and our pastor does. And so with that being said, I've attended when um, Hedy Bernice Johnson, she does a poverty summit every year, but guess where it's held? on the southern sector of town right. when they have uh town hall meetings where they st- discuss the statistics of crime and drugs and poverty and employment and all these disparities that cripple the african-american communities and the health crises that we deal with I have to drive to the southern side of town to be exposed to that information. Right. And so that's kind of where I am now is that I'm working on some things and hopefully I get to be a guest in the future where I can come back and share what I'm working on now. I can't really go into too many details because things haven't been official. They're not official yet, but I am working on a platform in my affluent community where I want to be able to bring those platforms here. So just like with their own people's own eyes, they were able to see. Some that we dealt with. Um, I want to also expose them to the same information that I've been exposed to, which has given me my motivation and my, my, fight my 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 boldness and my cause of social justice. Your sense of social justice. It cut out for a minute there. I want okay. people to Okay. And so give me your boldness and your sense of social justice. Yeah. Is that what you said? Having dealt with, uh, having been exposed to those statistics, and I'm not talking about town hall meetings where people just come in and being, oh, I'm mad about this and I'm mad about that and random. About- no, these are statistics. Statistics. I'm sorry, uh, where employees of the United States government or the state of Texas or Dallas County is coming in with statistics, not not just numbers to people. Th- statistics, data that's been collected, official information. Right. Showing the disparities that exist in African-American communities, even how they don't simply have access to go buy fresh fruit. Something as simple as going down to your local market and buying fresh produce. They don't have it. Right. All of us, I know me living out here, 
I can count at least five malls that I can get to in 10 minutes. They mm. don't have that out there. I got at least five, six Walmarts I can get to in five minutes out right. there. So they have one that's 15, 20 minutes away. Then to get a decent paying job, you got to sit in traffic an hour and drive out to Frisco, drive somewhere north because the systematic oppression and racism in Dallas will not allow. They rather crowd uh, North Dallas, Frisco, Plano, all those areas and rather put people on top of people, butts on top of butts than to give the same tax breaks to allow corporations to, to uh, build in the southern sector of Dallas where these people can go to work right around the corner. They have so much plush, green, pretty land and property out there. It, it is plenty of land out there, but no, they won't approve for Google, uh, Uber, and all these other companies to encourage them to go out there where there's room and where the employment rate, they need the, they need the jobs there. Right. Or rather they take those, they would rather plant, and that's, and, and, and Dallas, and people may not be from Dallas and may not know some of this stuff. That's why Dallas lost Texas, uh, the Cowboy Stadium. That's how they ended up in, in, uh, in Arlington and not in Dallas, because we had a mayor at the time that would rather not allow that stadium to have been built in that community where people of color, probably people minorities probably would have profited more they rather they fought and fought and fought to the point they lost it and it ended up in arlington that was a result of uh politics and racism that's what that right. was <laughs> and we lost it and to this day dallas county is paying economically for that because of right. racism and politics rooted in racism and systematic oppression. That's the truth. So anyway, yeah. as I said, I'm working on something. God has given me something. And again, I pray that you'll invite me back that I can official that I can share it. But one thing that I want to be able to do is provide a platform where that same information that I've had access to that I can share that with people that don't look like me. So just like with your own eyes, you saw George Floyd being lynched on uh, social media uh, from start to finish for those eight minutes and 46 seconds you can also see with your own eyes official data that proves and gives evidence to the disparities that exist whether they're economic disparities whether they are health disparities educational disparities there are so many even um uh environmental disparities that exist in african-american communities and just think us raising african-american kids or families i mean just a day-to-day -day, and we're not asking for somebody to come give us this gift just give us equal playing field let our kids go work and go to school and stay out of trouble get their degree and have the same opportunities that other americans have let them have the same american dream my money right. i'll be just as good as elsewhere instead of putting up all these this red tape just to keep us out for right. what half the stuff that we built on our backs and blood and sweat keeping right. us out of it we won't even talk about princeton university but we <laughs> they, they did bring in their own uh bring in a um 
a, a, a committee to do the investigation and uncover and expose their ugly truths and right. to try to uh, repair that in yeah. a sense. You know, they're doing it. Now, I don't know how good they're doing at it, but the effort is being made, you know? Right. At least they are admitting um, of some ugly truths, some very ugly truths. So, yeah. yeah. It feels... I'm looking forward, like I said, looking forward to, and not only that, another uh, component that I'm hoping that I can um, add to this platform that I'm working on now is uh, my approach for me, this is what, and there are so many opportunities for people to do something like you are doing something great with your podcast. You're using your platform to do something. People march, protest, people go to Austin, people travel to Washington to fight policies and to uh, reform police uh, uh, departments. Uh, we got mass incarceration. That's that's another show right there. Right. Mass incarceration. Did you see the video? I think I sent you that video that was just talking about you got modern day slavery. A lot of people are acting like it's an aha moment. They did not know that they have passed a law to allow privatization of prisons. Right. That, and therefore, because you allow privatization of prisons, that means there's a quota that has to be met. Right. That means my prison only profits and stays in business if I have this many beds filled. In America, y'all, that is that that is um that 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 is mad. That's evil. That that is evil. It should have right. never been allowed. So oh. you're saying is we're gonna put a prison in place and it's profitable. A prison profitable? And guess who it is profitable to? It's profitable at the expense of innocent men and women. That's why so many of us are being locked up for frivolous stuff because they got a prison quota they got to meet because so-and-so got to line their pockets with modern-day slavery money. Right. So there's a a whole list. I've been sort of researching and talking about like businesses that I don't want to support that that actually use slave labor from prisons. And mm-hmm. the list is enormous. Right. A business for like- Oh, I hate to- Is Starbucks on that list? Yes, it is. That's why I do not do Starbucks. <laughs> and I, like when I saw Starbucks, I was like, oh, well, that just, okay. Yeah, See, I'm that's not what going I'm back. I'm surprised that that's new to people because I saw that list years ago that Starbucks was uh, a company that profited from prison labor that and they get pennies on the dollar like literally pennies for working in triple digit heat from sun up to sundown that's yeah. modern day slavery it is and i'm amazed that people are just finding that out but with this platform um i'm hoping to be able to join with like-minded people to create a model for racial reconciliation starting with the heart because again, right. you can change all the laws and policies you want, but until we sit down and have conversations like you and I are having, uh, right. where people feel free to just talk about talk about their faults or what they can do better, what they should have did, what they could have did, what we're gonna do, and uh, start the conversation for racial healing starting in the with the heart, but also giving people the truth, the real truth. Right. And, you know, with me having an economics background, that's right up my alley. You know, we right. and all of that. That's, that's what I do. And so um, uh, sharing some of my, econ- using some of my economics uh, background to provide that data 
and then coming up with uh, action, service, action, real life work. Because it's so easy for people that got long money, the people that don't look like us, (laughs) to just come (laughs) give a donation. You know, I'm just going to, I'm going to give a donation to the NAACP. I'm going to give a a donation to this African-American group. And I'm going to just go on by my business. I'm not, I'm not a racist anymore because I gave X amount of money to this, or I paid for the groceries, $50 at the grocery store for a black, that doesn't mean you ain't racist. That is not that, just because you did that deed, that doesn't mean you're not racist. You got to have it's got to come from the heart. It's a lifestyle. That's what it is. It's a lifestyle yeah. of treating others that don't look like you, like they're human. Standing up for what's right. Yeah. When you see something, say something, it. Your right. silence is simple. Your silence is the problem. Your silence is, is throwing fire and gasoline on this fire. You know? So it's time out. And again, now, I I can preach to y'all all day long, and you listen to me. <laughs> all day long, but what I'm gonna tell you is, we all gotta leave. Black, brown, yellow, purple. All of us gotta die one day. And guess right. what? You may think you're getting away from getting away with it here on earth, but trust and believe, our mighty God, the Jesus Christ that m- many of us serve, you are gonna have to answer for that stuff. Trust you may get away from that and you may keep it quiet in your heart and nobody knows how when you're passing somebody that doesn't look like you, like, oh, I hate they moved into my community. Oh, I wish my son wouldn't play with this child. Trust me, God is gonna get you. He is going, he is going to ain't nobody escaping. Nobody <laughs> is going to escape judgment. So you can get away with those silent sins here, but trust and believe. God is going to get you and you're going to have an answer for those things. And when November comes, when we go to the polls, if you don't let your, let your light shine and stand up against racism and evil and systematic oppression in the voting poll, he's going to get you again. Man, it's so much to, (laughs) it's true. There's so, there's, there's so much to unpack. There's so many, you know, things that like, Overtly, I'm not a racist person, but I have to actively con- confront racial biases. Like when when I hear raised voices, mm-hmm. when I hear like when I you know we lived. Okay, so side note, um, my husband and I moved to our neighborhood. We were one of uh, three white families on the street, and when we moved here we were going for a walk we had our just our dog and um and this neighbor yelled do you live around here and it was an african-american family up on the porch we said yes and they said get in before dark and we were like what <laughs> so we walked back to our house and my husband was like what did you do because i picked our house because i was like look at it it's got big bu- it's got good bones and uh we lived here and witnessed you know, the inequality that our neighbors were experiencing firsthand. Now also, and I, I, you know, my husband talked about this, like was, was the fact that we live on the street made it easier for other people to move in and buy houses and then for, to promote gentrification. Like, I still think about that. Like, was I probably, was I part of the initial problem that made that, that ball start rolling? 
I don't know. Maybe I have to confront my heart about that. And also, so just you were, to go back. but you were not, you didn't do it intentionally. Okay. We just have, right. to, you know, I'm saying it out loud now, now yeah. you were, but it wasn't your intent. You didn't right. have knowledge of that, but there was a system put in place unbeknownst to you and your husband and family just to do that, to right. get you to move into their communities with your nice, beautiful home, drive up those tax dollars where they can no longer pay for the house that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Now they can't pay those taxes and now they got to move out and more people that look like you are going to move in and take their properties. Right. You didn't know, but right. we have, that's my point. I don't have to yell at you, call you out a name and be ugly and disrespectful to you, but I'm going to tell you, I love you. Right. Yes, you were part of that problem. Yes. But unknowingly, it wasn't intentional. And, that, yeah. and that's what we have to stand up against. So let me give you an example. So if somebody's listening, okay, what if I am uh, the part of the problem unknowingly with, with omission? You know, I, I, I didn't know what can you do. It's a lot you can do. You can get your neighbors and go down to City Hall and you can demand that they pass a law in your area capping those tax rates so they don't push people who have worked hard and labored, bled, sweat for those properties. They do that. You can put things in place to say, in our county, we want a cap on tax rates for disabled, for the elderly, for these people who have been in this community and own properties here already. We want a cap, we want a tax cap or want a tax exemption for those families. That's what you can do. So yeah. I, I get a lot of people are like, oh, well, I didn't know my job was doing it and I didn't know, okay, it's fine. But now that you know, and again, I'm gonna send you back to that Holy Bible that the president held up back, backwards and upside down. That Holy Bible talks about that. When you know better, you are now obligated. You're obligated to do something about it. Now that right. you know this, you are obligated to do something about it. And I just gave you and your listeners one thing that you can do. You right. can also drive down to Austin and make the same argument, just like if it was your mother and dad, your grandparents or somebody who have lived on this property for X amount of years and they're being pushed out just simply because they can't pay their taxes. Oh, you're angry. You're mad. You're passionate. You're all that good stuff. And you'll get in your car and spin your gas and go to your city council and you'll argue and fight for those rights. You got to do the same thing for these other people. Right. It's true. I mean, I, I spend a lot. I, I, my husband told me that I should run for city council. And I was like, do you realize you would never see me again? Like those people are up at the state house all the time. But like, I, you know, there was a tons of disparity. Let me share this right now. Now there are statistics again, my economics background, there are right. statistics that say when people are living in poverty, when there is a depression, when there is a high rate of unemployment, crime goes up. Right. It's all systematic oppression. That's, that, that's my point. It's not that this is just so happy. No, that's in any community, any community. When you look at the hurricanes that hit in, in New Orleans, they made it seem like it was all the black people that were riding. There were people that didn't look black that they needed pampers. They were, they were still in pampers. They were still in food, stuff they needed that they should have been provided by the government in the, in, in the midst of a crisis. Everybody. Right. 
Right. But people you that you saw white women running in there grabbing pampers and whites and they needed these were necessities. So it had nothing to do with color. There was poverty already in the area before the hurricane hit. And the hurricane just exposed the ugly truth that had been going on in New Orleans. That community right. had been living in poverty. So right. statistically, no matter so for you them to say that street was a no delivery street. It wasn't necessarily because they were black. You put the same circumstances in a white community, a Hispanic community, or in an Asian community, you're going to have the same problem. It, it's a statistical fact. It's a fact that right. where there is high unemployment, when there is a recession or a depression or whatever, crime is going to rise. Right. Alcoholics and addictions rise. Right. So... Again, if we sit silent, that's the that's what we have to deal with. So right. somebody in that community has got to speak up and say, okay, I, this street is a do not because it's the, the crime rate is this, that. Well, the crime rate, let's talk about the unemployment rate over here. Ask some questions. Because right. like, it, it's not because Black people are so violent or angry. That's not the case. Right. Because if they were, you ask your ancestor why they let us keep them youngins. We kept the kids, we educated the kids, we cooked. So if they trusted our ancestors all them years to keep and cook and be in their homes and stuff, be the good Negro in the home, we didn't all of a sudden turn into monsters. Trust me, right. we're not monsters. So you have to ask yourself like, okay, it's something bigger than this. Yeah. It's something bigger than this. And I, I posted something the other day and even with the injustices that African-American people have dealt with, we're not walking around hating white people. We just want equality. We right. ain't trying to seek revenge. We ought to be. <laughs> right. We ought to be. But the God in me, the God in us, that's not our demeanor. That's not, that's not, that's not our culture. We want equality. Right. We don't want revenge. Right. Ain't nobody sitting up here plotting uh, no revolt. I mean, to revenge white people. That's no, we want equality. Just simply uh, equality. Totally. We're not evil people yeah. like this. Yeah. And it's so, it's so good. I, you know, there, so you sent me that video and I had recently watched 13, 13th. So that movie, like Netflix has a, they're like black lives matter. Here's all these things you need to watch. And I'm like, I've never seen half of these. What? Mm -hmm. Did and you watch Just Mercy? I haven't seen Just Mercy yet. It's yeah. free. I'm on, I want you to know and your listeners to know it's free now. Uh, I watched it yesterday on Netflix. On Netflix. Free, okay. dude, because it, it's based on a true story. And Chuck, tonight, I know you said you, um, I was going to see how violent that is for kids. Family movie night. Is it good for kids? Yeah, it wasn't, they didn't show the violence. It was a very intense moment. But I probably would suggest, how old are your kids? 11, 9, and 7. An 11 year old probably could handle it. I don't know. I think that may be something you and your husband need. If but she it's can handle truth. Voldemort, she can handle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they didn't, I don't recall, they, they didn't show any bloodshed. I think people see on regular TV worse than that. So, right. I mean, it's an ugly, sad, and horrific truth, but right. they didn't show. They didn't show the violence. They didn't show it happening. Right. So yeah. So it's free. So that I know you have your movie night and pizza night. It would be yes. a great movie to watch Netflix due to the 
racial stuff. We, we're in a civil war. You know, people back the last civil war may not have realized it at the time, but we're in a civil war. Yeah. And so as a result of that, Netflix has decided to allow people to stream uh, Just Mercy for free. So I pray that you and the listeners will go out and listen to that. Uh, I mean, go watch that. It, it yeah. would be great. Because yeah. again, that's our reality. And then even the video I share with you today was that was just talking about how you can get someone who's white, somebody who's black. This person gets caught with marijuana. This person gets caught with marijuana. They go to jail. They go to, they get probation and never go to jail. And the next person has served 25 years in prison. Sounds crazy. The same crime. Oh, yeah. it happens. Yeah. Trust and believe. Post it on your, it happens. We have so many of our families have been destroyed just because they got picked that day. Somebody did any, many, mighty mo. I want you to meet my quota today, mo. You well, know? and I, you know, I'll be honest. I know quite a few people, and there's no legal dispensary in Tennessee. I know quite a few people who partake, mm-hmm. and that you know, you would look at this person and say, "Oh, that's a respectable member of the community," but. And if, even if they got caught or if they ever would get caught because they, nobody's looking for it for them. And it just, I'm like, I know so many people who do this. And I used to think growing up that drugs are so bad and only bad people do drugs. And like that propaganda was pushed in our face too. Like, just say no, like what kind of crit the stuff that, you know, after school specials, it was always the bad kids who are doing drugs. And it doesn't talk about how just normal people end up doing them recreationally, falling into addiction, no matter what the color. And the problem is not that they're horrible, bad people. The problem is that they need help, that they need, uh, you know, rehabilitation, that they need therapy, that they need all the things that. Well, that too, again, we cannot trust our, our American government as we ought to, but once again, that's a whole nother can of worms. Right. Like you really have to do your research and understand systematically and politically how those those how those drugs were abolished. I mean, why why they were uh, prohibited, you know, because there was yeah. a time when those drugs were legal, right. but to to pay for wars, uh, to meet quotas for the prison, to enforce modern day slavery. Okay, it's illegal now because, yeah. again, if you really look at the history and statistics and data on marijuana, it is not addictive. Right. It actually can be more um, helpful and beneficial for many, many diagnoses. Right. And it does not have the many slew of side effects as some of the pharmaceutical drugs. Right. I would much rather somebody drive down that freeway and be high on marijuana any day that somebody that's been uh, drunk, that somebody that's been drinking from sun up to sundown. Right. They're a much safer person. So um, again, they teach us what they want to teach us and give the, us the narrative that they want us to have and trust and believe there is always a motive. Right. What was the motive for uh, making marijuana illegal because they could not figure it's too easy to grow. They could not figure out how they could keep the rich rich and the poor poor. 
And right. that's why in the states that it has been legalized, Texas hasn't because they still trying to figure out how do we keep the rich rich and the poor poor. It's not because marijuana is killing people. It's not because people are overdosing from marijuana. You cannot overdose from marijuana. If there is no evidence out there, and there's no record of anyone ever overdosing from marijuana. So why is it illegal? Because they haven't figured out how they can profit off of it yet. And right. once they figure that out, oh, everybody can have marijuana. They will be selling marijuana in vending machines before long. Trust me, it will be a common thing. Once yeah. they figure out how to keep the money in their pockets. Right. That, <laughs> I, right. I feel like I just am always being educated. I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Like yeah. there's so many things, even the little bit in the, the video you sent me today where he talked about crack cocaine being pushed in neighborhoods to fund a war in Nicaragua. What? The Iran-Contra affair. That was funded by crack cocaine? What? Mm -hmm. You know. I mean, even today, there's a African-American segment that comes on a station. I think it's called... K-N-O-N 89.3 FM. You can even listen to it on Saturday mornings at nine o'clock, I believe. It comes, you can listen to it online. But somebody called in one day and several more than once, they've called in and said they've seen on in South Dallas, people get disability checks and welfare checks. I think they said the first and the 15th. And they said every first and 15th, there's this white van with these white men that come and they literally are giving out drugs for free, crack, heroin and stuff, giving it out for free. And they come, um, they come during a time when they get checked. So I mean, you get high then you got this money, you go out and do other crazy stuff, you know? Right. But they want that community to seem as if it's infested with drugs where the where the politicians come in and shut things down and move people out and give this false narrative only clearing the way for it to be infested today but clean tomorrow to allow gentrification right right but That's... people called in and were like yes today that this is not something that happened 10 years ago it happens today he named out the exact location he said just come sit yeah, these white band they, they show up every every month at the same time, and they give it so they are pushing these people to be become drug addicts. Right. Systematic oppression. Yeah. Well, we could talk forever, but I like to keep it about an hour long for listeners who are like, I was just washing the dishes, and I'm now I'm in this four hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I would really like to have you come back and talk about this project that you're working on. So when you get that rolling, let's do this Absolutely. again. Thank you so much. That'll be beautiful. I'm excited about it too. You're welcome. And I'm so glad that you just were willing to, like, we haven't actually spoken in person since high school. Well, mm -hmm, no, no, mm -hmm. since our 10 year reunion. And that was a long right. time ago. Right, um, right, right. But it seems say like with long. everybody, we see everybody on Facebook. So it's kind of like we family, we see each yeah. other on a regular basis. We think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, we've conversed on Facebook, but it's not the same thing as like talking face right. to face where you see me and I see you and 
Absolutely. You can see that Absolutely. I have not washed my hair and whatever. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yes, but this has been beautiful. I appreciate you being thoughtful to even consider me to be able to come on and share. Uh, I hope that I shared something that was thought provoking. I pray that I shared something that may be was convicting. I prayed that I touched somebody to seek ways for them to make a difference beyond um, just talking about it. Right. To want to do something to really make a difference. And another thing, let me share this real, real quick. Yeah. I encourage you all, you know, you said you're in a community and it's only three white families in a community. It, just ask God to identify a black family in the community that has children the same age as your children. Have a private discussion with those parents and say, you know what? We got to do better. And other folks are going to be responsible for their family and their household. On our, uh, store, uh, our Bible study show we had last night, we came from Acts 16 and 31. And it was telling the man how to have salvation. Not only could he follow this process for salvation, but his family could too. So what I'm saying is for your family, you can, you, you can make a difference to your families and pray that it rubs off on others. But you and that family, y'all come together and say, listen, we, we want our kids to be better. We don't want our kids to be up and be a victim. And you don't want your kids to be racist, you know? Right. So can we once a month have a play date where we come over and cook, have a cookout outside? We come to your house, have a cookout outside. Can we do this once or twice a month? Maybe I come worship at your church one Sunday and you come worship at ours every other one Sunday a month. Uh, we, like I said, we have dinner together, invite your kids over for sleepovers and I'm going to invite my kids over for sleepovers, you know, start somewhere, you know, and I think that would be a beautiful thing. And even if you don't have people in your community that you can exercise this on your job, you work with so-and-so say, listen, you know, it's a lot going on and I got young kids and I don't want my kids to be raised. I don't want them to have the disease of racism and I don't want your kids to have to be a victim of injustice, you know? And right. so I, this is what I want to do. So can we start having a dinner once a month together? Can we start having a play date with our children? Can we start going on an annual summer vacation or Christmas vacation together with, fam with our families together? You yeah. know, it, it's something you can do yeah. to make a difference in the generations that are to come. Right. And go right. to these town hall meetings, find out what's going on. Go start going to the city council meetings, uh, get a group of people together and say, you know what? We're going to go down to this community every Saturday or once a month and we're going to pass our school supplies or we're going to cook some food and take down here and we're just going to fellowship. We're going to gather up as many folks that want to and we're going to sit up under the tree in Indian style. Well, I don't want to say Indian style because I think that's, they said that's a racist remark. But we're going to sit up under... Crisscross uh, applesauce. <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to do that up under a tree and have dinner, you know, together with people that don't look like us, you know. Yeah. And we're just going to commune together as, yeah. as humans should be, should do, you yeah. know, it's, it's just many things that we can do, you know? Yeah. So those are just some examples. And I just, just, just promise me listeners that you will make up your mind after having heard this podcast to say, <laughs> I am going to do something. I'm going to do something other than write a check and open my mouth. I am going to make a lifestyle uh, out of something that's going to create change and healing. Right. Yeah, I agree.
well on that note action because i say this a lot deeds not words right, um, right. Do you, you know the cry of the suffragettes it's still the same thing don't talk about it do something be about it yeah. yeah do something and be about it yeah well thank you so much again crystal for coming on the show i really appreciate it thank you thank you and happy juneteenth to us yes you know, happy juneteenth juneteenth and i pray that they pass this law to make it an official holiday a national holiday that would be wonderful that would be lovely yeah. I didn't realize like that was not a thing that a lot of people knew about because we grew up in Longview. There was a Juneteenth celebration Juneteenth every, every year. Every year. Yeah. But I didn't yeah. realize that people didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like, you don't? Well, we do this. Well, people do. Just unfortunately, 46 minus one claim to not. But hey, I mean, I would have kept it a secret that I didn't know. But hey, whatever. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast about. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, yeah. But this has well, been fun. I enjoyed it. And thank you again. Yes. I really appreciate you giving me You're the welcome. invite and allowing me to share and uh, uh, fellowship with you and your listeners. I've You're enjoyed very welcome. It. And you all pray for my son, pray for our kids, you know, pray that we can lay down at night and have peace because it's, it's a dangerous time and it's scary for us. Very, very scary. Yeah. And so just praying for uh, safety for our young men and women, you know, all of us on a day-to-day -day basis, just every day, just say, God, keep everybody safe. We don't want to turn on the news today and see that somebody's been uh, brutalized or lynched by the police or hung on the uh, county uh, uh, property and stuff. Right. You know, or gunned down for jogging down the street or gunned down for sitting in your own home eating ice cream or oh. just sleeping while being black. You know, let's just pray daily that yeah. God will bring peace and healing. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much. Awesome. Bye. Bye-bye.